Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. San Francisco's plan to close down shelter-in-place hotels that have been protecting elderly and vulnerable homeless people during the pandemic would force up to 500 of them to move out by the end of the year. The timing couldn't be worse, according to advocates who point to surging coronavirus infection rates, reduced capacity at shelters, and winter weather. San Francisco supervisors will meet this morning and plan to announce legislation to prevent the closures. Earlier this week, California announced additional funding for these programs, but in many counties, people have already been moved out of the hotels. We'll get the latest. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Programs that temporarily house elderly and vulnerable homeless people in hotel rooms during the pandemic got a boost earlier this week when Governor Newsom announced an additional $62 million in funding. But finding permanent housing for these individuals remains challenging. San Francisco had plans to begin shutting down the first seven of 29 shelter-in-place hotels by December 21st, but city supervisors are meeting today to draft legislation to prevent the closures. Other counties, such as Marin, have already moved nearly everyone out of their hotels. Meanwhile, Bay Area suburbs like Novato and Milpitas are pushing back against plans to convert hotels into permanent supportive housing. In this hour, we're going to get an update on programs to help the homeless during the pandemic and what's being done to ensure permanent solutions. Joining us is KQED housing affordability reporter Molly Solomon. And good morning, Molly. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Michael. Glad to have you. Also glad to have Margot Cushell with us. And Margot Cushell is director of the UCSF Center for Vulnerable Populations, director of the UCSF Benioff Homelessness and Housing Initiative, and also professor of medicine in the Division of General Internal Medicine at San Francisco General Hospital. And welcome, Dr. Cushell. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. Molly Solomon, let me begin with you. And let's begin by talking about these are room key hotels that are shutting down in San Francisco, Alameda and and Marin, really a lot to do with FEMA money running out because that's 75 percent of essentially the revenue that's coming in. But 62 million has been put forth by the governor now put forward to keep things going. Where do we stand and what's going to happen today in the supervisorial meeting? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the supervisors propose and where that ends up going. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, if this is a resolution, if this is an ordinance and what kind of power they could have to push the city to extend these hotels beyond, you know, the wind down date, which is coming up uh, December 21st. 
And, you know, it's it's interesting because the Project Room Key hotels were really seen as a temporary emergency move to house people quickly at a time when their health is at risk, especially, like you said, people that are medically vulnerable, people that are older and, you know, might be more susceptible uh, to catching something like coronavirus. Uh, now we're sort of at the stage where how can we make this permanent? A lot of that is coming from funding that Governor Newsom is pushing through these Project Home Key grants, which is essentially, you know, giving different cities and counties, you know, millions of dollars in money to actually purchase some of this temporary housing where people have been housed in hotels and, and potentially create permanent supportive housing, you know, that could be permanent forever. In fact, there is a, a kind of plan in the works. Uh, what stage is that at? Do we know, Molly, in terms of moving from this room key to what is described as home key, a project that would mean more permanent housing? Yeah, you know, over $800 million has been dispersed through this project home key. They've been doling out grants, you know, over the last month or so to different cities and counties. And the thing with, you know, the home key money is that it's coming from the federal government. It's tied to, to CARES Act money. And the catch there is they've got to spend it by the end of the year. So there's an expiration date to that money, uh, which is why all of this is moving so quickly. You know, cities and counties have to actually purchase these buildings with those dollars and, and make the deals happen very, very quickly. You know, we're now mid-November, and, you know, cities and counties have to spend millions of dollars and actually purchase these 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 hotels. Some of them are tiny homes. You know, there's a there's a big variety and diversity on what these projects have been, you know, that have been approved that we've seen so far. Uh, you know, in at the same time, cities and counties are concerned that, you know, that 75 percent reimbursement that's coming from FEMA that's helping a lot of these hotels stay open you know, they don't know when that's going to run out. You know, right now that's sort of on a month to month basis. And I think, you know, look at a city like San Francisco. Uh, it's a lot more expensive. They've, they're serving a very large population of homeless people already. And I think there's a fear that, you know, are they going to get, you know, caught off guard if that money is going to get shut down in a month? So I think that's what you're seeing right now is, is a concern of weighing when to start to wind down these programs. Uh, and when some of the home key hotels, the more permanent housing, could be available. Well, it's costing the city about 15 to $18 million a month, but there's money from Proposition C, isn't there? There is, and I think it's still unclear how that could be doled out into this type of program and how much money that could actually bring forward. Uh, and, and I think that's what the city's wrestling right now is, is, you know, what different funding sources can we have to keep this going? And, you know, the reason why it's so expensive, or part of the reason why, is that it's not just the cost of the room that cities are paying for. There's a lot of wraparound services that they have to pay for as well. You know, in San Francisco, Abigail Stewart-Kahn, the, you know, interim director of the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, she said it costs about 260 bucks a night to house people in these hotel rooms because they've got to pay for three meals a day. There's laundry service. A lot of times there's security and case managers and housing coordinators that they're also paying to, to service some of the people that are in these hotels. So, so there are costs here that are significant. And we should mention there's certainly a good deal of hope uh, that more revenue will come in under the Biden-Harris administration and also that the legislature will provide more revenue. The hope is that Home Key will get more funding when it reconvenes, that is when the legislature reconvenes in January. We're talking with Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter for KQED News. And let me bring Dr. Margot Cushell into this. And uh, Dr. Cushell, there is a sense that um, housing is vital for health. And I want you to talk about that, that link, especially the need for affordable housing being integral to health and just how vital it is. Absolutely. 
you know, I think, um, as I like to say, housing is the best medicine, that what we know is when people don't have housing, everything else falls apart and it becomes extremely, extremely dangerous for their health. That has always been true. And I think that the COVID pandemic made it even more obvious and more true how very dangerous it was to be without housing, um, how dangerous it is to be in inadequate or very crowded housing, which in some ways has fueled this pandemic. Um, so I think I think COVID really brought home something that we as healthcare providers have always known is that it is very hard for people to be healthy, almost impossible if they're not housed. And you've, uh, I think, been involved in this, at least attempt to ameliorate problems of homelessness for quite a while now. And uh, how would you gauge the success of um, of, of Project HomeKey, particularly in light of what you've seen and what you've experienced, uh, the kind of outcomes that people have had from being indoors. Yeah, I mean, Project Roomkey um, has really been in in for the people it reached an amazing success. It happened really quickly at a very difficult time when um, governments and and uh, public were dealing with the effects of the pandemic. It was really amazing to see how quickly it came together, and I think. In some ways, it's proof of concept that when we really want to, we can get a whole lot of people indoors to safety really quickly. We've seen just incredible outcomes. We've seen people um, who were really struggling because remember, room key was targeted to the people who were the frailest, the sickest, oldest people, people who we were most concerned if they got COVID, which people who were homeless were at very high risk of getting, would do the, the most poorly, would be, wind up in the hospital or even die. And what we've seen is very little um, to COVID transmission um, in this population because of it. And in fact, huge improvements in other outcomes. People have been who had opioid use disorders were able to be engaged in treatment. People had chronic diseases, which have been very difficult to manage, suddenly getting managed, people getting treatment for cancers, um, for diabetes and for other serious illnesses. So it's been a huge success for those lucky enough to come indoors. Counties, however, really still need to find long-term housing solutions and they're scrambling to do so. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about the likelihood of something really coming down the pike here that's going to be viable. I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, Room Key has housed up to about 22,000 people across the state, maybe five or 6,000 in the Bay Area. Um, and and it's a little frightening to think what will happen if, if the resources don't come through. I think Home Key is a really good start. Um, it has created about 6,000 units across the state. And as Molly mentioned, the money needs to be spent quickly, which means the units are coming on board quickly. In many places, they'll be used as interim housing while they get converted to be permanent housing. Um, but I think we're facing a major upstream force, which is even, even though Roomkey has been so successful, it was only a tiny percentage of the 151,000 people who are homeless each night in, in California. And I think we have huge fears that because of the economic disruptions of the pandemic, that as the current eviction moratoria, which are in place, is sort of a patchwork of local, state, and federal moratoria, um, we could see huge increases in homelessness. So I think really important that um, we get all funds that we can, really important that we don't take people who are currently in these room key hotels and have them wind up on the street. That would be going backwards. And really important that we do everything we can at every level of government to um, increase our supply of deeply affordable housing. 
Well, that's the problem, though. I mean, we really don't have the housing stock or the supply. We need to increase it. But we also have more, just kind of piggybacking on what you just said, more of an influx uh, coming into the city, for example, of San Francisco, don't we? Well, I think what we're worried about is not so much people flooding in. That is um, everyone's concern that that always happens. It's never really borne out by the data. And most people who are homeless are homeless where they became homeless. And that's true as well in San Francisco. But what we are concerned about is um, with so many people losing income, losing work, behind in their rent. Right now, there are these eviction moratorium, meaning people are not allowed to be evicted, but it didn't pay their back rent. And if we don't get rent relief, either from the state or hopefully from the federal government, um, we worry about large increases in homelessness from people who have lost their jobs, have lost their income, and are now desperately behind in their rent. Talking about shelter-in-place programs for Bay Area homeless individuals with Margot Cushell, she's director of the UCSF Center for Vulnerable Populations and directs the UCSF Benioff Homelessness and Housing Initiative and is professor of medicine in the Division of General Internal Medicine at SF General Hospital. And Molly Solomon is with us, housing affordability reporter for KQED News. We'll be talking with others, and we want to talk with you. We want to not only hear questions you may have about protecting homeless individuals during this pandemic, but also comments and thoughts that you may have as well. You can give us a call now. I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. We welcome your call, so please feel free to be part of the program, and you can call us now. Again, the number, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break here for about a minute. When we come back, we're going to meet Rob Strahan, who's Program Director of Catholic, Catholic Charities. We're going to talk about more of what's going on, particularly outside of San Francisco as well. A lot of this comes down to problems and concerns about nimbyism, about not in my backyard. And uh, even though there are some hotels that have tried to move uh, toward at least accommodating homeless people, there have been... There's been a good deal of resistance. We'll hear more about that when we return. Stay tuned and please feel free again to join us toll free 866-733-6786. You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about shelter-in-place programs for Bay Area homeless individuals. And uh, I said I wanted to bring Rob Strahan into this discussion. He's Program Director at Catholic Charities. And Rob, welcome to the program. Good to have you. Great. Thank you for having me on the program. I guess the place I'd like to begin with you is to talk about some of the obstacles uh, with this program, particularly in terms of what comes under that broad rubric or category of nimbyism, uh, concern about rising crime rates, concern about uh, lower property values. These are the kinds of things that inevitably come up when there's uh, an attempt to provide shelter for people uh, who are homeless. 
maybe you could talk a little bit about that in a broad way, but also about what happened over in Marin, because it's exemplary in many way in the uh, in Marin and Novato. Mm -hmm. Sure. So Catholic Charities operates several um, shelter-in-place hotels under Project Room Key, uh, one in San Francisco for families and two previously in Marin, one for families and one for individuals. And as part of the conversion over to Project Home Key, um, the opening of a single adult in Puerto Madeira and then the attempt to open a family uh, site in um, Novato. And yes, there was some resistance um, by the residents of Novato around opening a site in uh, Novato, uh, particularly concerns around increased crime, also around uh, loss of property values, uh, local businesses in the area, uh, possibly not being able to attract uh, uh, folks to eat there or shop in their local areas. And um, again, it was just um, concerns around that. Also, there were concerns around the rush of um, passing this through very quickly in order to meet the uh, deadlines imposed by the state. So what happened, for example, with respect to the in, uh, Marin Hotel in Novato? Can you describe uh, actually where we're at on that? Uh, so the in, uh, the in Marin was to be established as a 72-room family shelter uh, to be opened up as a, a semi-permanent shelter for families. And during city council meetings, several of which I was online with, the again, the concern was uh, particularly around the rush of getting it done going through some more studies around potential crime or around potential decreases in property value. Um, I, there was a great deal of support on the other side as well, though, um, that, that, uh, that residents of Novato uh, were supporting uh, the opening of that particular shelter and the need to have it, especially during COVID and the concerns about if the uh, location isn't opened, what would be the consequences of that? What would happen to those families who are homeless and where would they end up going? Understandable. It was also, though, uh, my understanding, Rob, that there was a good deal of concern over uh, not enough vetting and circumventing land use in Novato. And with respect to both Corte Madeira and Milpitas, there was a sense of uh, wanting more community meetings, wanting more community input, too. That, that became an issue. Yeah, that definitely was an issue. Uh, again, the, the deadline um, in order to obtain properties under the Project Home Key uh, on this round was fairly quick. And there, again, was concerns that there wasn't enough vetting or there wasn't enough community input as to uh, maybe specifically a location. It may have been that uh, Marin Inn wasn't the ideal spot, and maybe there was another location that would have been uh, better served and maybe more community input as to where that might be. And I think you may disagree with what Dr. Cushell said earlier. I'd like to get you uh, to talk about this, about uh, people coming from across the country to this region and concern about numbers growing. Uh, you, you see that as not necessarily a myth, but a reality? 
it is a reality. Um, as one of the other programs, uh, I, I oversee several programs within Catholic Charities, including a street outreach program in San Francisco, as well as two access points for families, which is through the coordinated entry system um, in San Francisco, where families come to when they're uh, first wanting to get services for their, um, their homeless situation. And we have definitely seen an increase in our access points, uh, not only over the phone, but in person of uh, families, uh, even individuals who are coming in um, and stating they're coming from um, out of county, out of state, um, that they have, they're looking for services, they have indicated that they've seen information on television or through the news about services that are available here in San Francisco that they might not be able to get in their own communities. But also they have family and friends who live here and um, have come here and maybe had a situation where they could stay with family or friends for a little while, um, but then that situation turned and then they became homeless. Talking to Rob Strahan, who's program director at Catholic Charities. Also, uh, Rob, you're pretty concerned about Bay Area residents losing jobs and uh, homes being lost, rent going up. Uh, your thoughts before we bring our callers aboard here? Sure. I, I'm very concerned about um, sort of what I call the new homeless, and that is the homelessness we're going to experience as um maybe after shelter in place is lifted or after rent moratoriums are lifted and families and individuals who aren't going to be able to afford even paying back rents, even with the assistance um, through government programs um, or being able to sustain their current rents because they don't have um, uh, employment to support those rents. And so I anticipate that we're going to be seeing a fairly large surge of a new a new set of homeless families and individuals coming through our systems after the moratorium is lifted i, I believe after that's lifted you're going yeah, to be a new wave of homeless yeah absolutely and i mean we're seeing it even now we're seeing um families and individuals who are coming in who are uh maybe aren't in a certain um a, a, a sort of a standard or common lease agreement with a landlord um, who are being asked to leave their current situations. We also seeing more undocumented uh, needing housing options or looking for housing, particularly given the fact that many of them are out of work now and can't find any work? Oh yes, definitely. Um, two of my offices are located in the Bayview District and in the Mission District of San Francisco. And we are certainly seeing um, undocumented uh, families who are coming in who, again, don't have traditional lease leases and maybe um, subletting or uh, paying rent to a friend or a family member and um, they're losing their housing and they may not be eligible under current um, rental assistance programs and don't really know what to do at this point. Again, we're talking about shelter-in-place programs for Bay Area homeless. And let me bring some callers on. Let me go to Leslie first in Bolinas. Leslie, welcome. You're on the air. Good morning. Um, 
This is a, a general question about homelessness, um, and it is even before this crisis. I've always wondered why, what the limit is to the number of homeless people a community um, uh, should be, I don't want to use the word obligated. I mean, I think there's an ethical obligation, but what's the limit to the number of people a town or a city um, should be required to house? You want to talk about ceilings, uh, Molly Solomon, in terms of communities with homeless, with respect to homeless? Um, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. So like kind of the threshold that a city could bear for, for homeless individuals, is that the question? I mean, in some ways, I feel like probably Dr. Margot Couchel is the expert on this. Maybe you have more expertise on looking at what the data shows and bears out in terms of what the limits are to places like the Bay Area being, dis being able to sustain homeless people. Well, there are, you know, rules in terms of communities with respect to affordable housing. Dr. Cushell, you want to weigh in here? Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, um, you know, my answer in some ways should be no, none. We should have no tolerance for homelessness. Not that we should have no tolerance for homeless people, but that homelessness is really a result of just multiple uh, policy failures, policy failures that of course disproportionately affect black and brown people. Um, but there is no, it's not like you reach a certain point that no homeless people are allowed to lose their homes anymore. I know it can feel like people are flooding into areas, but of course what areas never see are the people flooding out. And so in most places, 70 to 80% of people who experience homelessness come from that area or surrounding. It is true that people often leave the suburbs and come into central cities because there are more resources in the central cities and frankly, people don't wanna starve to death. But, but what we don't see in the Bay Area are all the poor people who have left the Bay Area um, to seek housing. And so I wish I could tell you that there were some threshold, but remember, these are not, uh, these are not creatures from Mars. People experiencing homelessness are our neighbors, they are our community members, and they are community members who no longer have homes. So I think perhaps the question should be, what is our responsibility as communities to create and sustain housing that's affordable to the lowest income renters? Because that's really what we're talking about here. And that's a question that each community has to answer in its own right. Uh, I'm looking at a tweet here from a listener named Kristen who says, demographics of people in the hotels are disproportionately people of color and seniors, and a person usually has to be homeless in San Francisco for as many as 20 years to qualify for permanent supportive housing. It's insane, and there's one of the wealthiest cities in the world. Let's find out about what's going on now. I had mentioned there's a Board of Supervisors meeting that's happening while we're speaking here. Molly, what can you tell us? Yeah, you know, we've got one of our reporters, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. He's been watching the supervisors meeting now. Um, he, he does have a couple things to say there. It's interesting. They're basically co-sponsoring legislation to stop what they're calling evictions from these hotels, uh, saying that, you know, where are these people going to go if these hotel programs are shut down? You know, the earliest phase that they're saying would uh, would mean that 500 people would be leaving these hotel rooms right now, a lot of them medically vulnerable and older. Um, we've got a cut here from San Francisco Supervisor Shalman Walton from this morning's press conference. We're still in the middle of a major medical crisis. We're also in the middle of extremely cold weather that is here in San Francisco at this point. And it is cruel and highly unusual to be discussing the removal of human beings from SIP hotels with all of these elements. This really amounts to a December 21st eviction out to the street. 
That's and, you been know, a concern all they make along. This uh, Molly, point. I'm sorry, I'm mm-hmm. just going to say that's been a concern all along. Where do these people go, right, for these 500 people? That's been hovering over this from the beginning. From, exactly. Since Mayor Breed put it out there, yeah. Right. I mean, I think since we began this program, there have been a lot of push from advocates, from people that have said, you know, we need to be housing more people than the city is actually currently housing. But, you know, the big question is, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go when this winds down? You know, this city clearly does not have, you know, an inventory of permanent supportive housing to house, you know, the 2000 plus people that are currently in hotel rooms. Uh, and, and, you know, the city has been, you know, it seems like they're maybe reconsidering the timeline that they have right now for the hotels closing, you know, essentially right before the holidays in December, which would be very poor timing. You know, it's the temperatures are dropping. Uh, coronavirus cases are surging right now. It's, you know, at a time when the shelters in the city where some of these people maybe were, were coming from, those are still at very limited and reduced capacity. And so people could not even go back there and be able to live safely in that congregate shelter environment. So I think that's the big question. That's the big question for the city is what are they going to provide? And, you know, we've heard different things. There are some short term and longer term things that they've provided, you know, there is some permanent supportive housing that they could place people in. But, you know, there's also other things that they're trying to do right now. It seems like there's a flex pool with with vouchers and and maybe trying to create some sort of negotiations with landlords that they could place people in the private market, you know, in studios or one bedroom apartments. But, you know, as you know, it's San Francisco, even if rents have moved a little bit because of the pandemic, it's still extremely expensive to be looking for for, for studios and one bedrooms in the private market in an expensive region like the Bay Area. And you're hearing anything directly from Mayor Breed's office because she's certainly come under fire because of this. You know, that was a question that a lot of us had when we heard that Governor Newsom had announced, you know, that additional $62 million in grants for, for counties and cities to, to basically help keep people housed until maybe some of those home key uh, rooms come on board or and, and, you know, what we heard back is essentially that, you know, they don't really know yet how much of that 62 million San Francisco specifically is going to get. So it's a little bit hard for them to think, you know, how much this is going to change things for them and how much it's going to impact their timeline. Uh, you know, what we've heard so far is just that the mayor's office is evaluating it. Well, we should mention that th- th- we have a pretty good uh, notion of how that pie is of 62 million is going to be divided. 35 million is going to go toward rehousing project room key residents, uh, and then 24 to prop up the program, allow people to stay in hotels. And then about three is uh, put aside for technical assistance for actually creating rehousing plans. I want to bring um, Jilly into this discussion. Jilly has actually been staying at a San Francisco Project Room Key Hotel for the past six months, and she asked us not to use her full name because of a domestic violence situation. But Jilly, glad to have you with us, and welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you very much. I appreciate being with you. And we appreciate having you. I guess the first question I have for you is being in a hotel, how does it compare to being well in a tent or in a shelter? It's luxury. (laughs) It's like really convenient because when I was uh, on the street and I was, my brother had put up a tent so that I would have somewhere safe because I was between my dog, my service animal and I were sleeping between two buildings because the shelter that we were in had closed down. And so at that point, it was like, um, I had quite a ways to go, you know, at least 
two blocks, about a block and a half maybe, to get to the restroom. There were no showers, and the shower that you did, they finally opened or I found out about. You could only be there about 10 minutes within the shower, and it was strenuous, but the people in the encampment, they were, you know, decent people, and they kind of looked out for each other, and so I was blessed that a hot team, a friend of mine who also goes to the goes, she's a minister, she told me about hot team and the gentleman named Melvin at hot team, he came through and when they saw me, they said that, well, anyone who had a lung condition and they were about, you know, in their 60s, they had to be at least 60, a lung condition and that they would, you know, immediately get them into housing so that they would not be exposed to the virus. So I was blessed to be able to get into a shelter in place. And they were like, um, it's functioning like a hospital. So they take your temperature, you know, and they make sure that you have three squares. You get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you're actually getting, you're getting care, which is so important. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm uh, interrupting you here no, for a second because I'm coming up no, on a break. Ahead. Can you stay with us for a minute? I want to ask you about uh, how long you plan to stay there and whether you're going to seek or what you are hoping to seek in the way of permanent housing. But as I said, we're coming up on a break here. Maybe, um, okay. maybe you can just tell us how long you plan on staying in the hotel for the first before we go to this break in the seconds here. Okay, well, the hotel will be closing as of the 21st. And when Kristen came through, she was the one who notified us. We're in phase one. And so our hotel will be closing. Well, I want to find out more about where you're headed in this. And uh, we'll talk to you as we come out of the break. But again, we're talking about shelter-in-place programs for Bay Area homeless individuals. And stay tuned. More up ahead. You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking again about shelter-in-place programs for Bay Area homeless individuals with Margot Kuschel, Molly Solomon, and Rob Strahan. And we were talking before we went to that break with Jilly, who's been staying at a San Francisco Project Roomkey Hotel for the past six months. And Jilly, just one one more question uh, before I let you go here, and that is, what are your plans in terms of permanent housing, or what do you have at least hopeful that that will have been? Well, at this point, what they did was they had several people come from, I guess it was 1138 Howard, and they had us all assessed. And when they assessed us, they told us what we needed. And then they came back, they did, uh, what did they call it? I forgot what they call it, but it was like, you know, they did a, an assessment of us. And at that point, they actually said they might have some housing for the people here, 
And so they gave us the places that were available. And at this point, I am, like several of them, are waiting to hear from the buildings whether or not we have the correct documentation to be able to get into the apartment. So you're a bit in limbo right now, huh? (laughs) Well, yes, and they said it would be about a week, but it's supposed to be like an SRO, and it has its own bathroom. And because of the fact that I had broken my ankle and I will not be walking for at least another uh, two or three months, then they said that that gave me some priority. And so there were several other people here who also got priority, and they have a doctor who comes on site and ECS and the hotel. Well, I hope not only that your ankle heals, but I hope that you do find <laughs> a regular roof over your head. And I thank you so much for joining us. It's really been good of you to be with us this time. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful for the intense team that helped out with the housing. And at this point, I'm not counting chickens, but I am being hopeful. Yeah, we'll keep that hope alive. And we'll keep some more callers alive here, so to speak. We'll get Lee in as our next caller. Good morning, Lee. Hi. Um, I just uh, wanted to bring up the... I, I was a, a nurse, a public health nurse in supportive housing, which um, takes the most complicated medically and otherwise complicated uh, homeless. And um, I, uh, I worked there for about seven, in two different supportive housing places for about seven years. Uh, there are incredible people working for the homeless, I have to say that. Uh, my, my big issue is, and it never seems to be addressed much, is the extreme substance abuse and severe mental health issues uh, amongst the, the people, the homeless people. Um, they would be brought into our buildings. Many of the people I worked with were severe substance abusers. I worked with several predators in, in these places. Um, the uh, many very medically complicated people. And, you know, uh, just my, my thing is when I heard about the $10 million a month spent on the hotels the other day, I kind of freaked out. Because I really would love to see Laguna Honda uh, expand two more buildings, uh, assisted living, because many of the people in supportive housing are uh, not at the level of housing, the level of care that they need. They really need to be in assisted living because they're uh, very medically or otherwise fragile. And we have a nurse and case managers in those buildings and uh, lots of services that come in in home support, which means somebody comes in and, you know, cleans and shops and does cooking and so on, um, and personal care. Uh, Lee, the, excuse me, you're bringing up a lot of issues here, and I want to actually flesh them yeah. out a bit if I could. Um, let me yeah. thank you for raising these issues because they're all important. Uh, Rob Strahan, I want to hear back from you on this, uh, particularly uh, some of the concerns that she, it seems to me, is giving voice to here about the need for, well, for caseworkers, for one thing, and for people who are providing social services, because you do have a lot of mentally ill and addicted people who are homeless, but also maybe creating a kind of pivot here to converting hotels for permanent housing and where the money should be spent on that score. I think she's suggesting perhaps that we need to reassess. I think she's absolutely right. The, um, you know, homelessness is a very complex problem. 
And there's a lot of complexities around people who are homeless. And it includes um, some that are um, dealing with substance abuse, uh, mental health, um, employment, uh, domestic violence, uh, the list goes on. And I think that one of the uh, things we need to be looking at when placing people into permanent supportive housing or rapid rehousing subsidized programs is the services that need to be wrapped around that. Just placing somebody into a room and saying, here's your new place to stay when they may not have uh, the services they need around even developing budgets, how to grocery shop, how to uh, tend to some medical needs they may have, certainly mental health issues, uh, relapse maybe around substance abuse and need support around that. And so it's very complex and those wraparound services are very important and not just placing people in permanent supportive housing or rapid rehousing subsidies and saying, this is it for you. And money needs to go into those services. And I'm looking at uh, some comments here from listeners. Steve writes, I'm a Novato resident. The situation at the Inn at Marin was handled so poorly with little transparency and zero input from residents. The homeless situation in Novato and San Rafael is a critical mass. The area around the Inn is already a hangout for drug users and panhandling. Housing 70 homeless in a hotel without proper services and support is a terrible idea. I was a big Newsom supporter, but no longer. And here's Annie who says, uh, Sonoma is a small city with only 200 homeless, and of those, only about 20 are totally unsheltered. There are no plans for a local winter shelter because the city is using COVID as an excuse. Are there laws preventing churches or community centers from providing winter shelter? Can you help us there, Rob? Yes, in San Francisco, we do have a winter shelter program that is provided through um, several churches. Um, again, my concern is as we close these SIP hotels at this point with the high COVID rate happening, winter coming on, that we're not going to have those particular uh, enough space in those winter shelters. But uh, definitely here in San Francisco, we do have that. I can't speak for Marin County on what their policies are around doing well, Let that. me go back to uh, Margot Cushell. And Dr. Cushell, I wonder if you could respond to a tweet from a listener named Aaron who writes, how can San Francisco residents help ensure the people that people continue to be housed during this critical time? It seems ill-advised and heartless to end access to housing right now. Some thoughts from you. Sure. I mean, clearly um, in the middle of a pandemic, it's quite frightening to think that um, people um, would be released. You can hear, I was so happy to hear Joey's story and that there's clearly a lot of good work going on to try to move as many people as possible into permanent housing. I think it's really about being aware of um, what the issues are that um, uh, that there is a, you know, the city and the state um, are facing uh, budgetary issues. They, um, uh, you know, need help and hopefully that help will come from the federal government, um, but as well as the city and the state doing everything they can to put resources um, in the right places. I agree completely um, that many folks who struggle with substance use and mental health disabilities need supports. Many of those supports are actually fundable through the Medicaid program. It's not easy to set that up, but hopefully that could be set up um, so that people can get the level of support 
that they need. But I think really keeping the pressure on um, our elected officials is important at all levels of government. And I have to, I can't say often enough how important um, the federal government is in this. And obviously the fate of the Senate hangs in the balance right now. And that's uh, very critical. I think also saying yes to housing is another way to support it. I think that um, the harder it becomes for um, governments to buy properties, to convert properties, to house people in them, just the more complicated it is to end homelessness. So saying yes to housing, being the people who show up at the meetings and saying, yes, I agree that our homeless neighbors should be housed is incredibly impactful. And um, and really making sure that we hold um, our elected officials, both understanding the tough straits that they're in, but also um, holding them accountable to do as much as we can to bring as many resources as we can to this urgent crisis. And many more emails coming in here. Let me just read a couple of them from listeners. A listener writes, I'm a Novato resident, and I'm very disappointed that the Inn Marin won't be purchased to lodge the homeless. Residents who objected to this purchase are heartless. The lot is big enough that the neighbors would not have the homeless right in their face. Another listener says the situation accents the need for an accountability commission to oversee the Department of Housing and Homelessness. Why doesn't she want the department to be held accountable like the other departments in the city? She being presumably Mayor Breed. And let's bring another caller on. Leah joins us. Leah or Leah, which is it? Yes, it's Leah. Thank Hi, you Leah. so much. Morning. Hi. Morning. Um, I'm the uh, directing attorney for the Shelter Client Advocacy Program. Um, and we provide essentially due process hearings for folks that are being removed from shelters. Um, and that can be anything from a, a rule violation um, to something more more serious. And I think that you know, I've been very impressed during this crisis about the shelter providers as well as the shelter, um, you know, advocates, you know, and this is all based in, in San Francisco. And there's really a strong community. Um, I think what I've been very uh, concerned about and concerned today, and, you know, obviously I think that it's really important that the supervisors are saying, you know, we, we cannot close <laughs> these shelters, is that, um there continues to be decisions made by what's essentially called a command center um, that is staffed by folks that weren't necessarily before the pandemic involved with making these decisions. And we've had a lot of trouble of folks who don't understand how this system has been working for the past um, 30 years and have stepped in and just trying to move things. And I think that, that the moment where we were in a, level of crisis where it's for 30 days, we do what we need to do, um, is no longer there. We're now in, we're kind of back to the crisis we were in before COVID with some serious complications and that you cannot have a congregate setting for people. I mean, we're telling people not to go visit their family members during Thanksgiving, and we are suggesting that we're going to move people back into congregate settings. So I, I think that, you know, we need to start thinking about we're in a housing crisis, the same one that we were in the day before COVID-19 pandemic was declared and all of the things we've had to do and that we need to have a little bit longer view. And one of that has to do with that we've had a grievance policy that creates process for people to make sure that the shelters are you know, following the rules that advocates, that, that the folks inside of them are protected, that the staff are protected. All so good I points just, and all it, uh, yes. appreciated hearing from you, Leah. I want to go back to Molly Solomon uh, to sort of uh, 
come away from your points with uh, another important element that you've brought up here, and that is uh, the, the whole idea, Molly, I believe, behind Project uh, uh, HomeKey was to, not only to uh, provide high-risk people and more vulnerable people um, with some protection during this COVID crisis, but also decrease the numbers in the shelter where they're congregating, as the caller was suggesting, and protect them in that sense, too. That was really part of the raison d'etre, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, I think the caller, Leah, she brings up a really interesting point that also makes me wonder about the future of, of shelter in general. And, you know, what kind of uh, congregate shelters are going to look like, you know, in a COVID pandemic world? And is it safe for us to return to that? You know, could shelter look different now that we've gone through this pandemic or are still going through this pandemic right now? Um, and I think this is, you know, Advocates are, are saying that it's it's not safe to return to that, you know, at a time when coronavirus cases are surging, you know, in San Francisco, they're still at a very reduced capacity. So, you know, even if we release people from the hotels now, they aren't going to have rooms in shelters. And I think San Francisco has actually said emphatically that none of the people that will be reduced, that will be released from these rooms are going to go to emergency shelters in San Francisco. But Well, right I mean, now I think, we've got, I think, about 17% of the state's homeless population mm -hmm. in um, Project Room Key. So, uh, you know, how much can you really expand that is... Uh, a troubling question and a vexing question. It's at the heart of our discussion here, especially since we don't know how long this pandemic's going to last. Or exactly. And I mean, you know, you think about everything that we've been told from the CDC, from health officials in the state, you know, it's just social distance. I mean, that's pretty difficult to do in a place like a shelter where those are places where the conditions are, where you are packed into, you know, generally a large room, bunk beds, I mean, it's it's you know, it's a place where we've already seen outbreaks in the city of San Francisco. So I think to return to that, especially now or in the near future, before we have any sort of readily available cheap vaccine uh, could cost lives. Molly Solomon, again, is housing affordability reporter for KQED News. And Pam is our next caller with some thoughts about a resource for those of you in Alameda County. Pam, welcome. You're on the air. Hi. Well, great. Great to be here. Uh, I'm calling as a staff person for 211 Alameda County. I'm a housing coordinator there, and I just wanted to give that resource information to our, our callers. It's uh, uh, 211 is a phone phone number. You can call on our phone just as you can call 911 or 511. Uh, it provides safety net resources for the community, uh, and it operates 24-7 in multiple languages. Um, in Alameda County, it's unique in that it provides affordable housing resources as well. Uh, 211 in Alameda County is the trans where we transfer and register people for our homeless coordinated system, which provides information on, provides them access to room key, home key, all of the resources that we're discussing today. Um, understandably, everything is stretched super thin, but it is a way for people to access all the resources. We also provide services, uh, service information. Our operators will tell people about the rental assistance that comes down the pike. Uh, that will be um, available on all cities in Alameda County that we, we have information, and it's very up-to-date. Uh, we have mental health resources. We have sh uh, occasional shelters, shelter openings. And the big thing we have is affordable housing, which is we have a centralized one-stop shop for all the open waiting lists at, 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 um, at a point in time. Uh, people can people can call two one one and get the get on these waiting get on these information on waiting lists, as well as we have a website called um, 
achousingchoices.org, and we work very, very hard to keep that updated with a real-time open waiting list for the county as a centralized place. That's valuable information for those in Alameda, and I thank you for calling our attention to that. I want to go to a listener comment here and go back, if I may, to you, Margot Cushell, and get a quick response from you to a listener named Annie who says, I see the homeless in Sonoma acting as a family, helping each other and not feeling a need to social distance because they have little contact with sheltered people. What is COVID statistics in the homeless community? Right. So we've seen um, within shelters um, across the country, including in San Francisco, some terrible outbreaks um, for the reasons that Molly said, very hard to social distance. The good news is, I guess the good news is um, what we found from testing large numbers of people experiencing homelessness, um, that people were actually practicing um, social distancing as best they could. There was actually a high amount of mask wearing, and we haven't seen as much transmission in um, unsheltered uh, populations, in part because people really were doing the best that they could to wear masks, social distance, keep within a family unit, and um, a little bit of luck. And um, and we certainly, I think the role that Project Roomkey has played in keeping the rates low can't be um, can't be overestimated that, that by removing the highest risk people from the population really um, has saved a lot of lives. So I think that um, people who experience homelessness are doing the best that they can to stay as safe as possible during these very dangerous and harrowing times. And I certainly hope that that will continue to be the case and we will continue to follow this subject and this topic because it is of great concern to so many of you. And thank you, Molly Solomon. Thank you, Margaret Cushell. And thank you, Rob Strahan. And thank you, Jilly, who uh, we spoke to earlier. And all of you, please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.